Welcome to Further Africa's Last Week, our weekly news roundup of the most read articles on furtherafrica.com. I'm Rafael Carvalho, and today we have a very special guest, Temi Phyllis Pratt, a development consultant and program manager who also contributes to our Further Africa platform. Temi, welcome aboard. Happy to be here and looking forward to the discussions we're going to have today. Thank you. And also joining me is, of course, Emmanuel Chilampuma. Hi, Emmanuel. How are you? Um, okay. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. But before we delve into the news, let me remind you that you can reach us on last week at furtherafrica.com on the usual social media platforms. And of course, by leaving your comment on our Further Africa website. We highly appreciate your feedback. The news discussed here are from September 13th to September 20th. And the links to the news are, as usual, in the podcast's description. Now then, let's move on to our top five. Our fifth most read news is the publication of CB Insights FinTech Top 250 list. In order to come up with the final list, over 16,000 startups have either applied or been nominated. And out of those 250, four are Africa-based. They are Nigeria's Opay, Pompeii and Flutterwave, and South Africa's Yoko. Uh, Emmanuel. We have already talked several times through the news we have commented thus far about Africa's growing digital economy and venture capital environment, bolstered by the fast development experienced by its mobile web infrastructure, which has advanced uh, significantly over the past decade, creating demand and paving the way for tech companies to thrive on. Uh, add to that the fact that 60% of people in Africa still have no access whatsoever to the most basic banking services, and you can see why fintechs are poised to be so successful in the continent. Uh, most Africans experience the internet through their mobile devices, after all. So I'm interested to hear from you, Emmanuel. Tammy, what can you add to the points raised here? Let's start with you, Emmanuel. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think from previous discussions that we've had um, where we've actually identified um, the complications um, involved, you know, usually when you're opening up um, a bank account um, in any African country, the procedure itself tends to be quite lengthy. And, you know, especially for the rural communities, again, you know, some of the times or most of the time they don't actually have the necessary documentation um, to actually open a bank account. And, you know, this is where FinTech then comes in to resolve some of these issues. I mean, we've, we've, we've had, we've, we've said before that um, technology as a whole is actually um, working towards, um, you know, uh, solving some of the problems that um, the continent itself is facing, you know. Um, so I believe that, we will continue to actually see a rise in fintech and you know um the way things are positioned at the moment we could actually see fintech also moving into you know other industries such as um insurance again which is an industry 
that even even in the um, in the Western world is still behind um, in terms of um, its technology. Um, so you know, so yes, um, I think it will be it's it's going to be an interesting time um, ahead um, in regards to um, the developments in fintech. Yes, I agree with um, Emmanuel. Emmanuel has said um, regarding um, fintech in Africa, and what's interesting, actually, um, looking at um, these top um, fintech organisations, is the fact that a lot of the, some of them are focused on um, supporting SME growth. So, for example, the, uh, the right. South African platform Yoko. Um, supports SME transactions, which I think is a fantastic thing, which obviously is good for the economy of South Africa. And I think it's a similar case for Flutterwave and the countries that it operates in as well. So fintech definitely is remains an attractive attractive option for investments, um, to bring investment onto the continent. Um, and I think it's a good way to, you know, bring in much needed private sector investment that can obviously start off in fintech and obviously trickle down to other 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 sectors of, of, of the economy across the African continent. Okay, so our fourth most read news concerns Angola's new measures related to COVID-19 issues in the country. Uh, in order to mitigate the impact of a possible second wave, as we have been witnessing throughout the world, unfortunately, uh, the government is taking several measures to limit mobility to what's strictly essential. Uh, this means that Angola, until at least October 8th, will remain under public calamity situation, in a loose translation from Portuguese. Uh, Temi, since you're the new and definitely welcomed element here today, I would like to hear from you first. Uh, what do you think is the best way to approach this uh, crisis, this possible second wave, with the least possible collateral damage to the economy, if that's at all possible? Um, yeah, thank you for that. And I love what you've said there, if, whether or not, if, if it's at all possible to, um, you know, limit um, economic damage. Right. What one thing, looking looking at how different countries have approached COVID-19, one thing is, is very clear. It, how, however we approach it, it has to be very, very context specific. So, for example, just taking it out of the continent for a bit, we see in Sweden where they didn't do any too much of a lockdown. They never locked down their airwaves, um, their air, well, their airspace or anything like that. And now, you know, they seem to have gone past a wave and seem to be doing slightly, slightly okay. We have a situation in New Zealand where they did this very strict lockdown, um, and unfortunately, that that has led now to detrimental impact on their economy. Even though, from a COVID nineteen perspective. They didn't allow it to get out of hand in comparison to other countries. So it's definitely very, very um, context-specific. If I were to advise any government, which I'm not but if I were to advise any government, I'd say definitely going down the route to um, local lockdown, similar to what some, some parts of, for example, the UK are doing, is probably best in terms of the fact that you make things, you, you lock down things in a specific area while allowing economic activity to continue at pace in other areas so that way you're not you you are not if i can say sacrificing the economy too much um, obviously people's health is 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 most important and it really is a balancing act but i think taking going down the local lockdown route is good and i also think that this um testing 
each country should improve or expand its testing capacity. Um, and, and my advice would be definitely to, which a lot of African countries have been doing actually, and I'm very impressed with, is ensuring that before each passengers travel, for example, um, there is a negative COVID-19 test coming into the country or coming into a specific region, just so that you're able to manage the inflow of um, of of potential, you know, cases that might be coming into the country. So again, just to make it a bit more succinct, I say I definitely go down the, you know, local local lockdown lo- lockdown rules and also implementing a wide test testing system um, across across countries. And how about you, Emmanuel? Um, I totally agree with um, what Temi has just said. Um, I think it's important that, uh, you know, these measures that are put in place um, are not too focused on keeping people at home, um, while at the same time, um, you know, having a non-performing economy. Because as we've seen um, over the last few months where, um, you know, most countries are now relying um, on international financial um, institutions um, to provide them with um, relief funds, you know, um, particularly yeah. in um, in Africa. And, you know, again, we, we are aware that uh, most of the, um, you know, um, African economies anyway, um, there's a large percent of um, those, um, those economies that are informal. So, um, again, you know, this 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 uh, relief fund is likely to just um, apply to let's say registered companies or people that are actually um, employees of a registered company. So now we also have to now consider those people that are in the informal sector. Um, how do those people actually get access to the funding um, or any funds, um, if any, is available? Um, so you know, I think. Um, the, the, the main important thing here is to actually make sure that, um, you know, we continue to obviously um, uh, make sure that the economy is performing or functioning at least. Um, but at the same time, being also very careful about um, how we actually implement um, or how we even um, put in place these um, COVID measures. Absolutely agree. So the third most read news is once again the consortium led by Shell and Equinor for an LNG project in Tanzania. Temi, Emmanuel and I have already discussed this news uh, last week, so I'd appreciate your insights here not only on the specific case of this uh, joint venture in Tanzania, but also on the recent LNG developments sprouting up all over Africa. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much, Rafael. Um... I think it's, it's, I mean, it's great news that the LNG development continues across the continent and in the case, and as we can read in the case of Tanzania as well, it's good to see that Shell continues to build its expertise um, or its, its, its track record in this area on the continent. Um, on the Tanzanian specific case, it's good to also read the fact that 
local residents have already been compensated. I'm sure, you know, historically that tends to sometimes be an issue. But it's good that, you know, it's already happened in this case. And the the development, the LNG, you know, the development towards, you know, developing the LNG capacity can continue at pace, having met societal, stroke, environmental needs um, in, in, in the region as well. Um, LNG remains is an important investment opportunity across the continent. I know, for example, in Nigeria, um, I think off the coast, in, in, in off the coast of river states, there is a lot of LNG activity going on there and it remains one of the performing you know, performing parts of the economy. So it's good to see that Tanzania has gone down this road and we look forward to seeing what the economic outputs and the benefits that would bring to the economy of um, Tanzania in the coming in the coming in the coming years. Hopefully it's something that across across the country each sector would be able to benefit from the monies that would come in from from this project. Still on the topic of energy, we now move on to our second most read news, which uh, talks about energy firm Invictus having discovered oil and gas deposits on the Muzabarani area in Zimbabwe. This is the second discovery after the Zambezi Valley Basin that makes it two out of six possibly viable oil and gas deposits in the country, currently being prospected by Invictus. Uh, the firm now plans to sink two test wells by September next year after geotechnical and seismic studies, which are set to start next month. The next step now is to secure a production sharing agreement between the government and Invictus. In the words of Zimbabwe's Mines and Mining Development Minister, Winston Chitando, uh, quote, you find that minerals like gold and platinum work on royalties, but oil and hydrocarbons work on production sharing, which means that the government gets a certain percent of the production." End quote. Uh, Emmanuel, given your first-hand knowledge of Zimbabwe, I would like to start with you. Uh, what's the importance of these findings and how can they benefit Zimbabwe in its current struggles to get the economy back on track? Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, the, as we know, the, the Zimbabwean economy hasn't been performing well for some time now. And, um, you know, these findings, I think um, Invictus actually began um, performing these um, tests around uh, 2018, if I'm not mistaken, um, actually using data that was um gathered by another um energy company um this was actually quite some time ago so they basically tried to use that um data and then also try to um you know do their actual their own um testing on the ground so you know um if if uh, there is um that um potential to actually um extract um oil and gas um in this um Mozarabani area, then I feel that, um, you know, this will be quite important for the economy. Um, this not only would this allow um, investors to actually have interest in the country again, uh, but, you know, it will also contribute to, um, you know, creating um, employment, considering that um, unemployment in Zimbabwe 
is actually at a staggering rate of, if I'm not mistaken, again, um, above eight to five percent. So, you know, I think um, this will actually be beneficial um, to the local communities. Uh, but I again, you know, the, the main important thing is the interaction between Invictus and the government to ensure that um, this project is actually going to be um, one of the main factors um, to transform the local economy. Okay, and how about you, Temi? Um, I, I am in total agreement with everything Emmanuel said, and obviously as a resident um, Zimbabwean expert, <laughs> I think he's made some great points regarding how this can impact the unemployment situation and turn things um, turn things around for its good. I also think that it's fantastic that there is a local um, Zimbabwean partner, Geo, Geo Associates, involved in, in this project as well, because that would help to build local capacity. And, you know, it's almost like, a, I guess, local content um involvement in in such a huge in such a huge project it's also good to see the level of investment and commitment by by invictus energy um in you know exploring these 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 basins and 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 and, and, and oil prospecting we look forward to you know what happens in 2021 to see how much oil they found and if how much of that is actually commercially viable and our hope is that you know that would help restart or re restart or you know well yeah restart the Zimbabwean the Zimbabwean economy and put it back on the path of um of growth Finally, our most read article over the week is about the United States International Development Finance Corporation, DFC, granting a loan of up to $200 million to Mozambique's Temane Thermal Power Plant, and also in a different deal, uh, agreeing to provide up to $1.5 billion in political risk insurance for the commercialization of natural gas reserves in the Area 4 LNG project which is uh, led by ExxonMobil and has Exxon as its largest stakeholder. In a tweet published by Prosper Africa, a U.S. government's initiative aimed at increasing bilateral trade between the U.S. and Africa, they further elaborate on the extent of the funds provided, which, which amounts to $3.6 billion to be directed into projects in Mozambique, like we said, but also Kenya and Rwanda. Uh, Emmanuel, we have already seen and discussed uh, all the related news showcasing the United States' increasing involvement in African development initiatives and projects, not, not only from the viewpoint of cooperation, but also from another angle. Uh, and I believe actually that, that that episode specifically was not with you, it was with uh, Lucas Continentino. He wrote a very nice article about uh, US-China trade wars, that's what he called uh, but anyway, uh, we are seeing the U.S., uh, at least from my point of view, the U.S. clashing with China in order to gain some African ground from from its biggest competitor. So do you think the U.S.-China trade war has an influence in this upward trend of U.S. involvement in Africa? Um, yes, I believe so. You know, um, it, we often say that... Um, the the trade war between China and the U.S. isn't actually fought um, in China or in the U.S. Um, it's fought somewhere else. Um, so you know, 
we're now obviously finding that um, China, especially, they have been pretty much um, involved with many African countries um, in terms of trade, in terms of funding for infrastructure projects. Um, you know, they've been involved in so many um, economic um, sectors um, in many African countries. So, again, you know, it felt at some point that the, the US um, influence was actually starting to diminish um, in terms of trade or in terms of actually, you know, um, global influence. Um, so again, you know, we will continue to actually see this um, competition between the US and China in Africa. Um, but then again, you know, looking at the Mozambique and um, project specifically, um, we obviously know that most of the companies that are involved in these um, LNG projects are either American companies or um, uh, or um, European countries, with obviously a little bit of um, influence from Chinese companies. Um, so again, you know, um, if we actually observe this um, carefully, you know, it's actually for America to um, protect its interest. Um, this is why I think you know. There is that eagerness um, to pour in as much um, funds as of, um, as possible into the Mozambique and um, LNG projects. Yeah, I agree with what Emmanuel said that you know this the trade war um, that's going on between China and America is definitely not happening either. I mean, it's happening a little bit currently in the US with the whole TikTok situation, but. Um, Exactly. It's it's it's, um, it's happening mostly outside of, of 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 these two countries, and it's interesting just to bring it back to one of the articles we've kind of gone into um, previously with the fintech space, where a lot of the investors, for example, in the African fintech space, are are Chinese. So I believe, for example, Palm Pay. Um, is is led by a Chinese the, the investment round they got was China, was a Chinese investor. Um, the point in bringing that up, the point I'm trying to make is that the, this economic um, war, if I can call it that, will not only it's not only taking place in tradition in more traditional big spaces such as you know oil and gas, but also in technology, and um, we're probably going to see more of that going forward. What does that mean for the African continent? Um, probably um, a way to you know, get investments and the capital flows back onto the continent. And I suppose, um, think speaking as an African, we should actually think about how we can take advantage of this situation to our own benefits. Kind of, you know, practice real politic, if, politic, if I can call it that, to see how we can make, um, you know, take advantage of the capital inflows that are coming in to benefit our own economies, create jobs on the ground for our young people, and also bolster SME development across the continent um, as well. And that wraps up our ninth episode of Further Africa's Last Week. I would like to thank you, Temi, for taking part in this episode, and I extend the invitation for you to come back next week if you are available. Thank you, Raphael. I'm happy to have been here and I'm definitely taking you up on your offer. So I'll definitely be here next week. And thank you, Emmanuel, for your time here today, as usual. Well, thank you, Raphael. Uh, it's been a very um, interesting conversation, actually. Uh, very insightful, as always. Um, and Temi, uh, thank you for um, sharing 
your ideas with us today and thank you to all the listeners thank you emmanuel thank you temi and thank you to our growing number of listeners and readers on our further africa platform each of you help us build a positive narrative about african development in the world my name is rafael carvalho signing off until next time 